Welcome to Six Weeks of Soul Care with Meg Lacey Vega and JJ Vega. We are living through a strange time of isolation and anxiety as we hunker down at home during the coronavirus pandemic. Some of us find our schedules empty with canceled plans and lost jobs and nothing to do. Others of us are having the exact opposite experience as life and work and school all collide under one roof. Whichever end of the spectrum you find yourself, it seems that we are all seeking new ways of surviving, of thriving, of sustaining ourselves, and of nurturing our souls in this new time. That is what six weeks of soul care is all about. This week's episode on the spiritual practice of getting lost is a little bit longer than our previous episodes. We wanted to give time and attention not only to exploring the teachers and traditions and scriptures that influence our understanding of wilderness seasons as spiritual practice, but also that we left time for sharing about our own experiences of the wilderness in our spiritual and physical lives. We know that unpacking these experiences is what helps us begin to see that God carries us through these seasons, that God walks with us, and that God uses our time in the desert or our time of feeling lost and without a roadmap to transform our lives in powerful and important ways. Thanks for tuning in. So it's raining today. It is. It's cloudy. It's dark. It's supposed to rain every day this week. Mm-hmm. feel like this is a good time to talk about some pretty dark stuff. <laughs> it does seem <laughs> rather appropriate. Yep. Uh, it, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think your motivation level is right now? Um, maybe like a 4. Maybe like a three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hovering around a six. Hey, that's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to episode five of Six Weeks of Soul Care. We're really glad you're with us. And we are really glad that um, you've been giving us your feedback along the way. It's been great to hear um, this past week about some of your practices of creativity. That's been awesome and different authors and teachers and traditions that have shaped the way you view spirituality um, and what you're like how you're incorporating and layering some of these ideas into your week so thank you and keep keep sending us your ideas and your your version of spiritual practice we love hearing from you all it's especially during a season when we can't see most of you physically um, getting even in an email or a text message or a YouTube link to a meaningful meditation is just incredibly life-giving. 
So thank, thank you. you. Jinx. <laughs> um, today our topic is the spiritual practice of getting lost. Mm. So Welcome to the jungle. Right. This is an invitation into the spiritual idea of wilderness and shadow and darkness, right? It does seem appropriate that we're talking about this on a rainy day. On a rainy week. Yeah. And obviously in the middle of a time that has no roadmap, right? There's no roadmap for COVID-19. We are all in a wilderness season to some degree. Yeah. So, JJ, when you think about wilderness and getting lost, what does that mean to you? And how how is it spiritual? Well, when I think of wilderness, I think of actual wilderness. And the wilderness is a place where human beings have not found ways to assert their control. Like the wilderness is the dominant power in that space. Uh, So it becomes an environment where you learn how to not be in control, struggle with not being in control, struggle with chaos and the unknown and uh, things that may be out to hurt you and learn to tap into different resources and come alive in a different way. And so, I mean, physically, the wilderness is that. And then also, I think it could be a psychological place. It could be an emotional place. It could mm. be a set of circumstances. Yeah. You don't have to go to the wilderness to experience wilderness. Metaphorically, it's, it's any place you encounter a loss of control and a sense of uncertainty and unknown. How it's spiritual is, I think, when we face those shadows, when we face those wilderness experiences and have the bravery to meet them, even when we're afraid, we will find that God's always there with us and God can contain those experiences. So wilderness is a way to more deeply connect with God through an experience of transformation and suffering. Yeah, I find it interesting that when I was doing a little bit of research on this topic, that things that came up were both about sort of the metaphor of the wilderness as connected to the spiritual path and also about how we encounter God in the literal physical wilderness. Like that came up a lot. There was a book um, that I had never heard of that was backpacking with the saints or something like that. And it was someone that did this backpacking trip for like three months and they, they only read like the work of the saints and the monastic mothers and fathers and as a way to carve out like physical space and emotional space and spiritual space um, to connect with God. So it does seem like wilderness is, I mean, inherent in wilderness is the word wild. Mm-hmm. And for the Israelites in the desert and the wilderness, it was the wild that was fearful as you mm-hmm. said like chaos and uncontrollable there were thought to be demons in the wilderness and there were predators in the wilderness and it is it was not a place that they thought of as invitational right it was a place that they thought of as uninhabitable but it was a place that god led them to right so god invited them into a place that they wouldn't have chosen to go on their own and so mm-hmm. i think 
for me, when I think about what is wilderness and how is it spiritual, I'm often thinking of the seasons in my own life where God invited me into something hard that didn't have a, a map or I didn't have clear sense of direction or couldn't get my bearings, but that that was the very place that God was beckoning me, not just to pass through for a few days, but to be in for a little while to learn a truth that I needed to learn. Right. It seems that we need to be taken into those spaces in a way from our comfort zones and away from the places where we think we have safety nets in order for God to do the good work within us of transforming and um, an insight and wisdom. And again, this doesn't have to be a literal experience in the wilderness. I think anyone that's experienced job loss or the death of someone close to them unexpectedly or any number of these experiences, that's the wilderness. That's a place where God is doing deep work in us, usually against our will and way outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that being said, Meg, what are some teachers, scriptures, uh, sources of knowledge that you have leaned on and experienced that have helped you understand and navigate the wilderness? Well, we've already talked about the Israelites in Egypt, which is um, probably the most obvious one for most of us when we think about scripture. For me, there's a connection between the wilderness and the darkness that often we're invited into the same kinds of things when we're being invited into dark, hard things and when we're being invited into wilderness seasons. As Christians, we're often taught to lean toward the light, and that's not a bad thing. But Mm -hmm. God is often, throughout Scripture, showing up in the darkness, right? Right. It's where God invites Abraham outside and says, look at the stars. Your descendants will be more numerous than this. Mm. It's where Jacob wrestles with God and the angel is at night. It's where Joseph has a dream that becomes the future of Israel. It's where manna from heaven shows up for the Israelites in the wilderness is at night. They wake up in the morning and there's manna there. So there are all of these moments in scripture where it's in the darkness that God becomes most present. And even in Psalm um, 139, there's this line that I've thought about over and over and over again as I've navigated wilderness seasons. And it says that even the darkness is light to God. Hmm. So even the wilderness, the chaos, what is scary, what is dark, what we don't know how to navigate, what has no landmarks, God sees it clearly. It has landmarks for God. It's not unknown. It's not chaotic, right? Yeah. Which has a lot of um, comfort, I think. I think we also can't talk about scriptures related to the wilderness without thinking about Jesus going into the wilderness, right? Right. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He faces three temptations. He successfully resists the temptations. And there's a lot of really good literature. And those who have followed Richard Rohr's Rohr's men's work know that he talks about a rites of passage, a rites of initiation. In a lot of ways, as Jesus was about to embark on his ministry, 
the wilderness experience, the temptations was his rite of passage. Mm. And having come through the other side of that, he was now prepared to take on the next part of his journey. So talking about teachers or traditions, uh, indigenous tribes, um, especially those native to North America, have incredible traditions of using wilderness to initiate the young into adulthood. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they put them through hard experiences, usually hard physical experiences. They take them to the edge of their mortal capacity and teach them to, to reach resources and to reach a spiritual connection that they otherwise couldn't have reached in their comfort zone. There's so much to learn from other traditions. The teachers that come to mind for me are um, Barbara Brown Taylor, who's written about this idea of getting lost as a spiritual practice in multiple places. She wrote about it in one of her earlier books, An Altar in the World, that we're doing um, a virtual book study on right now. It was a chapter, that invitation into getting lost as a place to find ourselves and find God. And then she kind of elaborates on it in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, which is a deep dive into what it's like to navigate seasons where we don't have any landmarks, where we don't have any roadmap. Um, And I think she's unpacked some truth that has been long held in Christian tradition. And I'm thinking about St. John of the Cross in particular, who talked about the dark night of the soul. Like this idea has been familiar to Christians for centuries, but it hasn't really been unpacked very much in modern times. As you said earlier about failure, like failure is often our entree into the wilderness. And we like to talk a lot about spiritual success as Christians. Um, (laughs) Not so much about church every Sunday, (laughs) right? Not so much about those moments of failure. So she, I think has opened a a gateway of conversation for um, readers in our time to engage the idea of the dark night of the soul or the invitation into wilderness. Um, I've also been reading Glennon Doyle and I've been quoting her all over the place. Yes. And I brought my book in here because I wanted to read. She just says things so beautifully. She is really great. And I wanted to to read this paragraph about um, her understanding of being lost and what she calls a touch tree, which I think is a really beautiful metaphor of what it looks like to be found in the midst of being lost. So she says this, a touch tree is one recognizable, strong, large tree that becomes the lost one's home base. She's talking literally, physically. If you are in the wilderness, you will die if you can't be found by staying in one place. But you'll also die if you don't navigate out and go find food and warmth and all of the things you need to build shelter. And so the way that you navigate that is by finding a touch tree that you return to over and over, that you remember where it is and what it looks like and what it feels like. So a touch tree is a recognizable, strong, large tree that becomes the lost one's home base. I've spent much of my life lost. Lost in the woods of pain, relationships, religion, career, service, success, and failure. Looking back on those times, I can trace my lostness back to a decision to make something outside of myself my touch tree an identity a set of beliefs, an institution, aspirational ideals, a job, another person, a list of rules, approval, even an old version of myself. Now when I feel lost, I remember that I am not the woods. 
I am my own tree. So I return to myself and re-inhabit myself. That's beautiful. (laughs) Isn't it? I think she's another who has mined her own story of wandering in the wilderness to give people their own touch trees or some sense of a map along the path to navigating seasons of unknown and to finding God and finding ourselves in the midst of them. That's amazing. Yeah. What about you? Any other scriptures and traditions come to mind that we should mention? Yeah. You'd mentioned the the stories of the people in Exodus, the Israelites. I wanted to mention a specific line of scripture, uh, if only to show that some of the writers of scripture had a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just read it. This is from Exodus 14.11. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? So they've been delivered from enslavement in Egypt. Yet in that moment, they would have chosen the comfortable slavery of their old situation, their old paradigm to this new place that God had led them out to. And I think that line encapsulates probably one of the most frustrating parts of the wilderness journey. It's Mm. that point in time when you were totally exhausted, totally at your wit's end, you have no idea what the next step is or when you will find safe harbor again. And you would rather go back to the way things were even when you were miserable than continue forward. So I love that line. I think that's very emblematic of the wilderness experience. In terms of other traditions or teachers, I've always found endurance, like ultra-endurance athletes, very inspirational. Uh, Rich Roll is one who's got a fantastic story of going through the wilderness of becoming sober from alcoholism and becoming a vegan Mm. ultra-athlete. His book is called Finding Ultra, and that's a fantastic read for anyone, but especially if you're interested in seeing real life what the wilderness experience looks like and he's not speaking in christian uh, language he's not a christian but uh, he does have some spiritual undertones Uh, scott jerks another ultra runner he's literally had wilderness experiences Uh, there's just something fascinating about people that choose these almost no one scenarios where their bodies will break down or they will get injured and have to meet this part of themselves that they didn't have to meet. They could have just stayed at home and done the comfortable thing or just run a couple of miles, not a hundred miles. So those are just a couple that come to mind. Yeah, those are good. And I think we can't move forward out at least naming the desert mothers and fathers. Yes. Right, that these uh, third, fourth, fifth century monastics, early monastics who lived in the desert, who learned how to survive in the desert, who in many ways were replicating Jesus's experience of the spirit driving him into the wilderness. I think they were being driven into the wilderness in some form to find something. And often there was chaos, as we've talked about. There was danger, there was struggle, there was internal turmoil and external turmoil. But they developed patterns and rhythms and habits that helped them not just survive the wilderness, but thrive there and encounter God there. And develop compassion in interesting and deep ways. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've seen with the desert fathers and mothers especially is humility. Mm. There's often talk of how humbling 
those deep aesthetic experiences were. So yeah. interesting people that choose to, that I guess, push themselves into that situation before it's done to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, often wilderness isn't a choice, as you named earlier. It's yeah. something that happens to us that shoves us down a new path. Speaking of aesthetic experiences, um, we wanted to save a good chunk of our conversation today about our own experiences of wilderness because unpacking those is a source of helping all of us understand better what is happening in the wilderness and how God is meeting us there and how we're being formed as God's people in that space. So tell me about some of your experiences of the wilderness. Mm. Well, I will share two stories. One story is an actual wilderness story, and then the other is uh, existential wilderness story. So back in 2010, I had a longtime girlfriend who I shared an apartment with, and we had a pretty ugly breakup. At the time, I was in school, so I was unemployed. Um, Very long story short, I was unemployed for months trying to figure out how to Uh, support myself and afford this apartment. I almost got evicted multiple times. I couldn't find a job and really experienced some deep depression. And that that feeling, that anxiety of, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this state. Like There is no safety net. There's no one that can pay my way for me. There's no one that can do this work for me. And I remember one day probably a couple weeks before I would have actually been evicted from this apartment, I had a friend that called who I only ever hear from once a year. Once a year, we we have a wonderful conversation as if we've never been apart. And then another year passes, we have another wonderful conversation. This time, he's just calling to check in on me. And I was pretty honest with him, but not fully honest. Next day, he calls back and he says, hey, man, um, I know you're having a really rough time and you know, I want to let you know that I've got some money saved and I can help you with this upcoming rent payment. It was humbling because I don't think I'd really actually admitted that things were out of control mm. and that I couldn't afford my own rent. So I very reluctantly took his help. And that's when things started to change. I got into the military probably a month later. I found not one, but two jobs was able to get out of debt, was able to afford the apartment until my time in the service started. So it sounds like an experience of fear Mm -hmm. and of not knowing what was coming and what you could even do. And then the touch tree and that was someone else walking alongside and doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Mm -hmm. God taking the form of other people. Mm. and showing me that, no, you're not in control, but you're also not alone. Then that's been a theme. The second story I'll share, this one's a little bit shorter, actual wilderness experience. I was living in Montana where I was stationed, and I went on a hiking trip with two friends of mine. We were supposed to do 48 miles through some... 48? 48 miles. Okay. Yeah. Through some... You know, good Montana wilderness. My friend had the map. He was supposed to know where we were going. Well, about two miles in, we took a wrong turn on a path. We ended up about eight miles off the trail, no GPS, ran out of water. 
were pretty close to being out of food and I started getting really sick. I got altitude sickness. And basically we ended up finding our way back by following a ravine and woke up the next day and we somehow made another 20 miles and then the next day we made another 20 miles. And it was really humbling. It was very humiliating getting deeply sick in front of these people who just were incredibly good outdoorsmen. Um, but again, there was that touch tree of someone there with me and maybe what felt like a little bit of divine guidance, finding our way back to the trail. And to this day, I think that was probably my most rewarding outdoor experience. It was the one where we got lost. There was the one that I got sick and wasn't sure that I could make the trip. What did it feel like to be lost and to be helpless because physically you were not well? We talk in the military, and you've probably seen this in movies, about DEFCON levels, like DEFCON 1, DEFCON 5. If DEFCON 5 is the most threat to your survival, we were definitely there for about six hours, like truly wondering whether or not we would die out there in the wilderness. And it was truly terrifying. Like, what have I done with my life so far type of thoughts coming up. Mm. Um, but then the relief to be awake and alive afterwards, that vibrancy of life you can't find without having that sort of fearful experience. I think. So those are my stories. What about you? What are well, your experiences? I also thought of one that was more f about physically being lost and one that was more metaphorically about being lost. Nice. I had this period of time right after I moved to North Carolina where my phone's GPS did not work. And I was, I'd probably been there for six months I was pretty busy and I just like kept not going to Verizon or Apple and saying like, I don't know what's wrong. I just like, um, or it didn't feel that important to me. And so I would constantly have these moments where I would be somewhere or need to go somewhere that I didn't know how to get to. And then I would put it into my GPS on my phone and then remember like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> and I had to figure this out on my own. And it just like for those like four or five months that this happened, I just felt constantly disoriented. For me, GPSs have been around basically since I've been driving. So I had never had to do the hard work of noticing how many miles a road is before a turn or looking for landmarks along the path or driving around in circles looking for something specific knowing it's right near here but I'm not exactly sure where it is right um I just hadn't done that before and it was I think one of the reasons that it comes to mind when I think about the spiritual practice of getting lost or of invitation into the wilderness was how much it forced me to be awake right Barbara Brown Taylor in her chapter on this in an altar in the world talks about um, these cow paths in 
this piece of property that they own where the cows had just all walked the same like six inches of dirt over and over and over for years and years and years finding the best routes to get from place to place without running across rattlesnakes or without going up a very steep hill or whatever like that cows have naturally created these paths and that what we're doing mostly in life is just like following the cow path right right and that all of a sudden if we go off the cow path there is danger right in the wilderness and getting lost because we could step on a rattlesnake or run into a thicket that we aren't expecting but there's also this lack of ability to move along unconsciously that we have to be conscious of our surroundings in a new way and that that is the practice of presence or of waking up or of paying attention that getting lost facilitates the ability to be present because you can't be anywhere else but where you are when you don't know exactly where you are. Right. (laughs) So I think that's the first one that comes to mind for me and is such a good metaphor for the times of spiritual or existential lostness or wilderness that I've experienced that they felt equally as disorienting and confusing that I often felt like I was going around and around in circles trying to find something that I knew was close by but I just couldn't put my eyes on that I had so long relied on unconscious behaviors like following my GPS to get me where I needed to go and all of a sudden those behaviors weren't effective anymore and I had to find new tools for navigating uncharted territory And um, for me, there's been a couple of seasons like that. The biggest one probably prompted by um, a death in my congregation in North Carolina of a young girl that I was very close to who died really tragically in a fire. Her name was Abby. Some of you have probably heard me talk about her before, but that really put me in a tailspin of where is God and what is the meaning in all of this and why does God let horrible things happen and how do I grieve and how do I lead a congregation through a traumatic event? I mean, just all the questions. And I think for the most part, I kind of pushed through the immediate time after Abby died. And then about three months later, I woke up and realized I didn't know where the heck I was spiritually, emotionally. So that definitely comes to mind as a time of uncharted territory and having to trust God one step at a time like I think one of the marks of the wilderness is that we don't get more than one next right thing to do that there aren't instructions that are like and you do this and you do this you do this you do this it's like here's the next right thing and then you do that thing and then you wait and also survival in the wilderness requires that you attend to one thing at a time In in a modern, comfortable context, we give ourselves the illusion that we can attend to many things at once, but really fully being present with where you are is required and only doing the next right thing. Like the next thing we need to do is find water. Right. The next thing we need to do is find the path. The next thing we need to do is find where we can sleep safely. Just the next right thing, like you were talking about. Right. And it felt just like that in a kind of emotional, spiritual, existential way that the first thing I had to do was rest long enough to realize I had all of this grief and hurt and pain and all of these questions. And then all I could do was like sit with the questions for a little while. 
And then all I could do was ask people to help me because I didn't know how to navigate it on my own. And that time ended up becoming really fertile ground for a deep sense of calling for me, for a lot of writing. I did so much writing and wrote poetry and and even moving through the initial sense of abandonment from God in able to get to a deeper place of not faith that everything's always going to work out, but faith in spite of the times things are not going to work out. Right. Trusting that God is still with us even when things are not going to have a happy ending. That God is still good even when these things happen. That God grieves with us. I I think I came to a different understanding of God and the spiritual life and the spiritual path because of that season. And like you, one of my touch trees was the people that supported me along the path. Right. As my friend Sarah and I used to say, like the people who tend the flame in our souls when we can't. So we would talk about this a lot and she ended up deciding to try to make candles and she made two candles and one said, there's a light that shines in the darkness and the other one said, and the darkness does not overcome it. And she kept one and she sent one to me in the mail and she would send me a picture whenever she lit her candle in the morning to pray and say like, I'm lighting the candle for you. And that has become a link for us of caring for one another. And there were multiple other people that journeyed with me through that season in some really specific ways. But that's a tangible example, I think, of the manna from heaven that came in the middle of the wilderness. I also think that season was a more exaggerated experience of something that I've struggled with a long time, um, and that is depression. And I think that's a real wilderness experience. And we're really good as Christians about being like, well, just push through it and you'll be on the other <laughs> side and God will never give you more than you can handle. And there's joy in the Lord. And yeah, all of those things are good. But when you're dealing with clinical depression, that's not helpful. No. That's not helpful. So no. depression, anxiety, mental illness, these are all experiences of wilderness and all experiences where God meets us in those places. But again, they don't always have cookie cutter endings or big bows tied on top. For me, depression is an ongoing struggle and there are seasons where it's worse and there are seasons where I barely notice it, but it's not ever just going to be over and I'm going to be on the other side of it. It is a place I find that when I'm there, when I sit in the wilderness long enough, I realize God is with me in the dark that I have ways to get my bearings when I can't see or rely on the things I normally rely on to find my way, that I have to sink more deeply into other senses than sight to help me find the path, and that sometimes that's really rewarding. Something interesting and kind of metaphorical to what you were just talking about, this idea of other senses, when you stand out in total darkness long enough without other artificial light sources, you do develop the ability, the innate capacity to see in the darkness, to see because there's never really an absence of light. St. John of the Cross talks about this and the different uh, cycles and levels of purgatory of the soul, a dark night of the soul. He likens it to this idea that you learn to see a different kind of light that's always there, that even when it seems like it's pitch black, the light's not actually absent. And that it's only in the darkness that we're able to see the stars. Right. For me, that became a metaphor I carried with me after Abby died and that I've now lean on a lot when I'm experiencing a bout of depression. Mm-hmm. That 
it's only in the darkness that I can come to see the stars. So it's not as bright and sunny as the day, <laughs> but that there are things I can see in the darkness that other times I'm blind to. Right. And that's why those times are powerful and meaningful and important and not pushing through them or brushing past them. That is a real spiritual practice. Yeah. And there are other beautiful seasons of brightness and joy, but I think when we are able to hold those seasons of darkness as equally powerful, we're really fully engaged in the spiritual life with God. Well, we learn to let go of thinking we can do any of this on our own, right? Yes. That is the point of the wilderness, of the manna from heaven, of the like, I want to go back to Egypt because right. it was better in <laughs> slavery than having to to walk into uncertainty. And this discomfort and this pain right. that I didn't ask for. It is really hard for us to move toward discomfort, toward the cross. Like this is the symbol of the cross, right? right? To trust that there is life on the other side of death, but that we have to go through the death first. Right. That those are the most sacred moments where God not just meets us, but finds us. And transforms us and transforms the world through us. And I think if we take our commitments to following Jesus seriously, then we acknowledge that this path of descent is our path. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so normally at this point, we talk about how we can practice this in our daily lives. But in some ways, we've just reminded everyone, like, this is not a fun practice. It's not really a practice. (laughs) It's just living. And it is, it is. But seriously, for a minute, let's talk about The idea of getting lost, of choosing to enter the wilderness instead of resisting the wilderness. How do we do that in our day-to-day lives? To start to answer that question, I'll read a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. If you do not start choosing to get lost in some fairly low-risk ways, then how will you ever manage when one of life's big winds knocks you clean off your course? I am not speaking literally here. Although literal lostness is a good place to begin since the skills are the same. Managing your panic, marshalling your resources, taking a good look around to see where you are, and what this unexpected development might have to offer you. Mm. So it's impossible to truly practice getting lost because getting lost has to be an experience that you don't feel like you can immediately find your way out of. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we can find even small ways to come close to it. I mean, I talked about the endurance runners who choose these insane challenges. They take on essentially a wilderness experience before the wilderness experience comes to them. I know people that voluntarily dip themselves into ice baths, um, just, you you have once voluntarily dipped I've, yourself I've done into it an ice times. bath. <laughs> I, I don't do it nearly as much as some of the, the really hardcore folks out there. But voluntarily choosing discomfort in some way, shape, or form does help to sharpen that skill set. We resist it, but when we actually go into that experience, there's a lot of fruit there for us. So there are ways we can voluntarily become uncomfortable, and that's a portal. It's not the actual experience, but it is a portal. Yeah. What do you think? The practice of welcoming prayer comes to mind. That's a great one, yeah. Um, Which is kind of like centering prayer for those who are familiar with that practice. But the idea is like when you're having a strong emotion, 
you're feeling angry or frustrated or resentful or deep grief, that often what we are programmed to do is to do something to distract ourselves. And what welcoming prayer invites us to do is welcome the feeling and then welcome God. And generally when we do that, sit with the feeling long enough and when we recognize God with us in it, it begins to transform the experience. And I think that's one way that we intentionally move into discomfort is by just letting ourselves feel all the things. Right. Not narking out on Netflix or, <laughs> you know, having a couple of glasses of wine every night because we're in pandemic. And if we have to think about this all the time, heaven forbid, right. you know, how do we sit with those feelings for a little bit? That is a, just a microcosm of the wilderness experience. I think also getting physically lost has a way of really teaching us. So I would encourage everyone in the next week to just take a wrong turn, right? Mm -hmm. Go on your daily walk, but go down a road or a path you've never been before and just see what happens and notice what it feels like. Both the panic and the sense of awe that comes from realizing that there's something right around the corner that we've never paid attention to or never noticed before. The ability to see in more detail our surroundings because we know we have to find our way back and we don't know the path. I think all of those kinds of physical experiences of getting lost have a lot to teach us about the spiritual experience. And I think that's one place we can start. We are very much in a season of wilderness right now, of being lost in our own lives as everything has changed and the rug has been pulled out from underneath us in this time of quarantine. It's all new. It's all uncharted. And we don't know when it will be over and what things will look like when we get to the other side. So certainly this is a wilderness moment which makes it hard for us to lean into the practice of wilderness because the wilderness is our daily lives right now. Here is a blessing for you on the journey, wherever you are, that you might find God in the midst of your adventure. This blessing by Jan Richardson was written for the epiphany season, a season of stargazing, of looking for the bright spots in a time of darkness but it seems full of truth that we also need to hear in this time. For those who have far to travel, if you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it, might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place you know not. Call it one of the mercies of the road, that we see it only by stages, as it opens before us, as it comes into our keeping, step by single step. There is nothing but to go, and by our going, 
take the vows the pilgrim takes to be faithful to the next step, to rely on more than the map, to heed the signposts of intuition and dream, to follow the star that only you will recognize, to keep an eye open for the wonders that attend the path, to press on beyond distractions, beyond fatigue, beyond what would tempt you from the way. There are vows that only you will know, secret promises for your particular path, and the ones you will need to make when the road is revealed by turns you could not have foreseen. Keep them, break them, make them again. Each promise becomes a part of the path. Each choice creates the road that will take you to the place where at last you will kneel to offer the gift most needed, the gift that only you can give before turning to go home by another way. Thank you for listening today as we shared our stories. Be on the lookout on the church Facebook page in the week ahead for posts and poetry and images and practices that might help us all open ourselves to getting lost and to being found in a new way by God. A special thanks to my husband, JJ Vega, for being on this journey with me and to Ryan Corbett for our beautiful music. Blessings as you go.